Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of Beacon 23. This is for the sixth episode. This one is listed as being named Beacon 23. And this is your host, Paul, with Gabby and Inez. How's everybody doing this week? Fantabulous. Super excited to get this going. Were you guys expecting another trip in the Wayback Machine for this season? Was this way back, though? It was not. It's oh, like it 200 was. years ago. It was way back. It was both. Well, I mean, it was both. It was way back and yeah. future. Yeah, Dr. Ree Avalon, uh, I think, was identified as the first keeper. Mm-hmm. She's the one who brought that yeah, picture. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was the picture person. It kind of reminded me of like how she's described as the first keeper, like when, say, cars or rockets or nuclear power plants or whatever first came out, they, they needed to be tended to by very technical people. You know, it was very serious business, sort of like gas station attendants in New Jersey. It's not something that anybody can do. It's, you know, very specially trained people. So she, she like has, she's a PhD. She has the uniform that she wears all the time. She's pretty formal with Bart takes a while before she grants him the uh, nickname, which is kind of like a big contrast to what we see going on later, which is it doesn't actually take a PhD to run a beacon as it turns out. So I was I was amused by a lot of the beacon universe building that went on in this episode, both with her section and Farut and Grisha's section later on. What did you guys notice about Dr. Avalon? Well, actually, it's ironic that you said that it doesn't take a PhD to run this because it probably requires a non-PhD to run it since she didn't last very long. I think PhDs are too intrigued, maybe get too stuck in the science and into the artifacts that they just decide to go. So, (laughs) nice. Solomon followed suit. (laughs) He's yeah. More of her story reminded me of 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, I've mentioned that before, but something about the way that she, like you said, she remains curious. She can't help herself from being drawn to the artifact. And then when she finally goes out in the picker, right, she disappears. Very 2001-y, 2010, and those, that's the sequel, 2001, it's 2010. That's the kind of shit that happens in those movies to the very scientifically minded that can't help themselves in the presence of, of this sublime artifact. They can't help themselves from, from just getting close to it. They want to touch it and experience it. Yes, yes. They want to become it, and then it seems like they have become it. Is that what happened to Solomon? Now I am wondering that if if there's you know a picker out there with his corpse just going in in a straight direction because that's what happens in space, or did he beam out? If will we if we ever get to see the other side of whatever happens with people that come into contact with the artifact will he be hanging around there waiting for Mm. someone to meet him what do you think Inez when Dr. Ree disappeared that artifact was doing its thing doing its dance right right? the bean ballet Um, right what I've gathered so far from the show is that it hasn't been able to dance around like that until after Aster and Halen released 
the relics into release the stones like back into space yeah and then it starts doing his dance so is part of that dance the reason that they were able to why that artifact was able to draw their attention and be able to absorb them from guessing absorption from like an energy perspective i mean it did something in their bodies and minds that people were drawn to it because it was also Farouk was kind of obsessed over it, but not at the same capacity as his daughter or Dr. Ree, but he still like wanted to keep pursuing learning about it until Gracia intervened. So I'm going to lean on that Solomon is drawn to it from something, but I think that he probably did die from a lack of oxygen. You guys mentioned last week the idea that Bart might be gaslighting whoever's listening to him because of his like potential to lie and or capability to lie and all that. This week he had a long discussion with a character named Kier explaining these long stories in order to stall for time so that the ISA could show up and arrest him. When you guys uh, said that last week, I, I didn't know exactly how that was going to work. But now that I see that he's been around this relic slash artifact stuff since the beginning of humans noticing that it was a thing. So and and the, the whole time he's been like, no, nah, that's that, that's that's not out there. No, don't worry about that. No, that's not what what you're seeing. I don't see. So it's not there. That's how gaslighting <laughs> works. Right. Hmm. It's a good point because is he gaslighting on the storytelling to this dude or is he being authentic and giving like the history because like there's just no reason to lie about it. He can like share about it, you know, but yeah, yeah. Now, now you kind of like changed me from where I came. I came in with specific agenda piece to talk about Paul and now I've already like lost my confidence <laughs> in, in that story. I think it's totally possible, but I don't know how far back in the past this guy was doing that. So maybe it's possible that this might what guy have was doing been the, 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 the guy bomber? who came to bomb. Yeah. Yeah. The bomber. He's listed as Kier in IMDb, but it's never said in the episode. Oh, okay. I don't know how far back this story is. So I yeah. just kind of assumed that it's like, uh, it's far. <laughs> it's far enough um, for me to, Wait, because we have Solomon, story? we have um, Aster, the, the bomb, oh, the, the bomb guy. So Kier, you don't think he's the most recent? No, Aster and Halen are the most recent. That's my present day. So, sometime so I don't between, know how far back this yeah. is. Sometime between yeah. the birth of... Parsim slash Aster and Solomon taking over at the beacon. Is that fair to guess is when this took place somewhere in that intervening 40 yeah. ish years? Sometime. Wait, no. Is it because 40-ish? no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, you guys, I think this is in the future because Bart said that it was two centuries that he's been there. And then he said that it's yeah. been like 10 years or 13 years or something since his last keeper. And so my 10 years. And so my question, so to me, it was that the bomber was in the future after Halen and Aster and that Bart, when he stated my last keeper was like evacuated like 10 years ago. I don't know if his last keeper is Solomon or if it's technically someone else like Halen and Aster. I assumed that he would say it's Solomon because he's so technical. 
It is hard to tell. I mean, because there is another series of mentions of how bad things are out there, right? The destruction of Beacon 23 at the hands of another bomber. Beacon 24. Wait, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, you're right. Beacon yeah, 24. 24. And then there's Bart might not know that Parsim and Aster are the same person, but on the other hand, he has all kinds of scanners know? and shit. I think shit. he does know. Yeah, it seems like he should. If he, I think he does know. They said it out loud that... around him when they're saying their goodbyes. Yeah, that that was her. That that was her new name. So I think that this that Bart knows more. Like what you just said, which is interesting, Paul, about how like he has apparently been gaslighting people because he does know and he admits that he knows like the most about the artifacts than like anybody else because he has. That's like, how the he entices Kier to stick beacon. around. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he's enticing him to stick around so that he can like he has his ethics and his ethics are being accountable. And so he probably would have vouched for him in some capacity if he hadn't like attempted to detonate it. But, you know, the fact that he like gave him he gave him somewhat of a power of choice and then Kier like still took it. But at the same time, um, they did have that conversation. This was very V for Vendetta for me, where he was mm. very much V. And I really thought that was powerful. And especially, I guess, at the end, right? Like, ideas are the most powerful things in the world. Like, that's exactly what V says. I didn't consider what you just said, which is that he has known that Aster is this person but also that he's still like playing dumb to a capacity. And so that makes me curious as to what his motivation would be, because surely he has that. He has a motivation. Exactly. I was just thinking about that. Like, is he there to protect ships from dark matter or is he there to do something with the relic slash artifact? Yeah, you're right. Because he's incredibly honorable and dedicated to the beacon and again he's the only ai that has not actually been updated that's something that we've said and he's very poetic and, his avatar um, is like, the beacon obsessed. remember exactly and he mm -hmm. thinks that that's like the most beautiful because the beacon is his truest form and he like really appreciated that yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I was getting the vibes that this is kind of like an AI versus like organic thing, like an artifact thing, the AI thing, um, just because the humans here are kind of like hosts and tools and expendable. But it seems like the Q guy, so Aleph, he wanted to understand this and then he had to transcend because he wanted to have whatever higher being. However, like there is still that huge gap between him and the artifact. So he's more of a like into like a hybrid machine organic world at that point. And then you have Bart and AI, which like know the artifact is there, but they are unable to, you know, obviously see it, but he can see the effects of it. So he's kind of the most powerful entity and then there are humans who like are kind of controlled by the artifact in many capacities but they're kind of more as like tools and it seems like the ai know what's going on and the people are just wandering around hit and miss however we do know that halen and Aster are chosen and Aster is like i'm convinced that Aster is like birthed for the artifact like i think the artifact kind of was like this holy thing that made it possible for them to reproduce and that's like her great purpose uh. which is just like something to do with the artifact because 
she as a little one she made the things dance and she spoke this language and she opened the portal she like controlled a lot of it and again they said that all of man made stuff like whatever they put those people through in order to make like vet them to get them to the point where they are allowed to coexist on the beacon she shouldn't have happened she was a complete miracle and i don't think they just said that like out of nowhere no but that's a great point that she wouldn't have qualified had she been fertile or exactly. the other mm-hmm. or Farut wasn't shooting blanks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're on something. I don't think Farut figures into the parentage of Parsum now that, now that come to think of it. She's Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Par- Parsum Who's is. Farut? Farut is, is that dickhead mom, right? dad. No. Um, oh, he's Grisha. the dad. Grisha is mom. Oh, the dickhead dad. You thought he was a dickhead? I thought he was just some random schmuck like everyone else who just gets enchanted by the artifact. Uh, kind of. I mean, he he kind of wrote off interacting with the artifact and I thought I was seeing something. Meanwhile, Parsim is going all red rum all over the place. I and, mean, and because... then... <laughs> <laughs> She's going all red rum. <laughs> Thank you for that visual. Yeah, it was good. Kind of was, though, right? Funny. Now it's funny. Well, I mean, one is because, like, yeah, he's just, he's a dad and she's a mom. Like, that has that has a lot to do with that, I think. And also the fact that he had seen it before, because that's, like, a larger indicator that this thing, like, has some kind of a plan and has had this long game with him. But dad wanted to engage as, like, a kind of like a science experiment. And meanwhile, mom is like, no, no, we're not doing that with her. Um, so that's where I got the dickhead um, idea from. If I was putting money on after they leave the beacon, does their little family make it? I was kind of doubting it. They didn't They didn't seem very cohesive there at the end. Just glad that Parson was acting kind of normal again. I really appreciate you caring so much and criticizing this this male figure as a father. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot because me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine, typical dude. Like, have you ever met in? I won't say it, sorry, but um, <laughs> I, uh, it wasn't surprising to me, and I um, I did understand though that what he was saying, which was like, they need to get her get her out of there because um they're gonna get her taken like she's gonna get taken away like i did understand his like fears and i i thought she the grisha was a super badass for um just interjecting and then destroying slash i don't know making the series like last longer by like putting the drone in there that was really interesting that she like took matters into her own hands that Mm -hmm. was cool that was a really cool moment which like you didn't really see her character being so assertive until that point right she was still very like reasonable kind of passive letting him take the lead and so that was that was pretty cool and i did appreciate like their mutual respect even at the end because i don't know it kind of gave me like oppenheimer vibes as well from like the movie right like there's just certain types of people who aren't the nurturers and this guy wasn't the nurturer but she was the nurturer and the little baby is a product of alien wormhole in space so everyone's everyone's a little weird You'd end up that way, right? You sign up to be on the beacon 
but you do so under these weird draconian rules, right? Did you notice how the erosion of uh, civil liberties might be extended to a point where you can't have a baby as a requirement in order to take this job? It's sort of a continuation of backwards leading policies uh, projected off into the future, perhaps. Or like maybe the people who like created all that, like know that there's something about like children and this thing. Oh, that's even scarier, isn't it? I feel like we learned during Olive's episode that the energy that they could witness from this artifact was not visible to anybody but the humans. Is mm-hmm. that am I remembering that accurately? Yeah, in this yeah. episode we learned that Avalon managed to kind of force Bart to see Yeah, from see science to to be able to bring that right. the visualization of that. You had to tell Bart exactly when and where to look with what settings. And then mm-hmm. he could kind of record it, but not in the same way that people could. So yes, continue. Okay. So but I, I feel like I learned that in all of episodes. Yes, right. Right. And that was what, like hundred thirty years um before after Halen. 180 years. 180 years. Okay. And then now we know since she is Aster, or presumably, I'm assuming that this is Aster, that me. She is Aster. It says she's Aster. I know, right? But Bart hasn't said anything about Aster, and he knows all biodata about everybody and can detect, like, and know who people are the moment they step on the ship. So the fact that he hasn't. He's hiding it. Right. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's fair, Inez, is that like if he could at the very beginning of a pregnancy know that she was having a girl, then the dude can do some pretty deep readings, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't see sure. why he would like not mention that like, oh shit, you're back, right? And I can maybe see how she wouldn't remember giving it five years old. Um, there's some stuff, a lot of stuff that I remember when I was five, but. I don't know, maybe like playing around with an alien on a beacon for my first five years isn't going to register for some reason, right? That's why I'm saying I'm assuming that this is Aster in like a normal human life lifespan. So that gives us a timing of this particular moment to be um i uh, i don't know i don't know what how old does Aster look i have a timeline that i made up if you want to know it oh please yes i do so what i my timeline is that avalon is zero right that's like when everything started when avalon's there i don't know how long she lasted but we do know that the bomber was there at year 200 because bart says i'm just just going based off of what bart's saying He said it was 200 and that it was 10 years since his last keeper. I'm assuming that he's going to call his last keeper Solomon. So that means that's 190 years in. So if you start at 190 years in and then you go back 180 years, it means that Sophie was there at year 10 with Aleph. I don't know how long Sophie had been there, but it is safe to say that she is pretty close to the very front because she did mention that maybe Olive was there because of the last keeper, which was like I think we can assume Avalon who like disappeared. So I think Sophie. Oh was yeah, the now we know that's keeper. the F that's the incident. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so Sophie, I don't know how long Avalon was there, but Sophie was definitely there year 10. We don't know how long after she was there. We don't know how long she had been there when Olive came, but it seemed like she had been in there for a while. So I think it's like set at least maybe give or take like seven years prior, I would feel because it didn't seem like Avalon was there for very long. So five to seven years. So anyway, it's Avalon is zero. And then year 10 is Sophie and year 190 is Solomon when he evacuated. So 190 is when Halen comes in. And then however long he was there is when Aster comes in. So that's between 190 and 200. And then so depending on her age, which Paul said it might be between I thought I it's hard because like I feel like the storyline would say she's like supposed to be in in her like late 30s to mid 40s. But Paul thought it was like mid 40s to mid 50s. So 30 something years or to 50 something, 30 to 50. I don't think she's 30. I think it's more of like 37 to like 57 or something. Cause she, I don't think right, she's so. We'll just to be say forty young. to round up. So thirty-five years prior would be like uh, Farouk Grisha Parsum era. Lena Headey celebrated her fiftieth summer this year, or no? I guess her forty-ninth <laughs> summer. Yeah, but, but what did uh, they? How old do they want her to be? That's true. Yeah, I don't know. So I think it's safe to say about like forty. Um, we'll just say forty years is a pretty safe number of since you've been there no woman on screen actually plays her age she always plays right. <laughs> younger so bart bart should yeah. um bart should have said something i feel like he would have said something i don't see any reason why that in would be like a thing he because had they, a really it changed him to have her experience her in his life he and that, then yeah. to say goodbye right it was a very meaningful thing he's the one who gifted her this necklace um, she yeah, hasn't so mentioned he anything her. about her history of the necklace and all of that, whatnot. But anyway, I really do like this idea that Aster is some kind of like space Jesus. Um, <laughs> I'm down for this. He knows it's her. He knows it's her. And there's a reason he hasn't told her. But he is like somewhat tolerating her a lot. And maybe he is protecting her as well. So why would that be the case? Because he knows her and loves her. Even though he is AI, I don't know that that at this point we should write off the idea of some kind of lasting affection for him. Because he, he, like you said, Inez, he says in his story, kind of being the third parent of this young child changed him forever after that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe. He raised her. Something about this story reminds me of uh, Stephen King's stories that involve children. Um, Do you guys read Stephen King? I've read like two books. Yeah, no, I just read the short stuff. Okay. Well, he has this kind of theory that he uses every time. If there's a kid in his stories, then if they go through something, no matter how magical and terrific and scary that just the process of aging, the fact that they survived it just sort of wears off. It's like, you know, kids have good summers, bad summers, whatever. But by the time they're 35 and they've got their bills to pay and their children to raise and all that shit, that the fact that they survived an encounter with Pennywise the Clown just wears off, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And something about that logic, that storytelling device fits <laughs> within the scope of what we're talking about with Aster. Because, yeah, she might remember things when she was five, but was she privy to the fact that her mom blew up the artifact? What I oh, do no. really love here was it does make sense to me that this is Aster. Okay. I'm, I wasn't meaning to sound like I was doubting it, but it's. It's just more, I needed to make sure I have a confirmation timeline. So I appreciate we went through that conversation. But what this story did reinforce to me was that drive that we've been talking about every episode with Aster. Like she will destroy and get rid of anything that is in her way of getting connected with the artifact. And so it was super interesting to see what that looked like, like how strong, like how, like when you're a kid, you can't, you're not really as like composed with your emotions, like composed by like society standards, right? Like stay quiet, be quiet, whatever, right? No, she's expressive and she's- She kicked her mom off of her. Right, right. Because her mom was getting in the fucking way. Yeah, Yeah, that's how strong this like, pulls she's very fierce and she knows what she wants (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah she's multilingual um (laughs) she you know she was hyper focused on this thing and the mom was just getting in the way and she was willing to do that to her mom and it makes so much sense that as an adult why we're seeing like okay there's this is somebody who's like it doesn't matter to me and they're getting in my way and they're posing as a risk and so i'm gonna just get rid of them the safest way possible she's super calculated from a probability perspective <laughs> just like get them out i don't need hostages i need them gone yeah. and i don't need to think about them anymore so it's super effective but now you now we know like how strong this drive is and why it is so easy for her to like to do that but but i feel like i could believe a lot of bart's story as authentic storytelling and not so much just like trickery because i feel like if he doesn't have to lie he won't he's fine telling the truth and letting people know the truth but he already knows what like the bigger picture strategy is and it doesn't really matter if they know a truth or not whatever and i feel like this story like how i don't know it would be super disruptive the writers just gave us a whole episode of like fakery so i feel like (laughs) I have to really believe and trust a lot of what he has said about like who he is and who these people are and who Aster is. And that has given me insight on the situation. Gabby, did the setup for this episode remind you of Star Trek at all? Not that I can point out a specific episode, but just like the concept of, of sitting back and getting this story told to us through like this long extended flashback. It seems yeah. like I've seen that, right? Like data yeah, with or the, simulation. the holodeck or something. Yes. Yeah, the holodeck. Yeah. This is definitely a holodeck episode for sure. I can't pick out exactly which one it is because it feels like depending on the series, they might have used it a couple of times, <laughs> you know, whether it's Deep Space Nine, Voyager, whatever. But it felt mm-hmm. really familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I uh I should have looked into that cuz like I I am I'm seeing scenes right now in my mind and like feeling <laughs> I can think of some from next gen, but uh yeah, no, I'm definitely like totally convinced that I was right <laughs> that Aster <laughs> is 
this baby of this artifact. She's like this miracle baby with a greater purpose and her purpose has something absolutely to do with the artifact and the next thing that's going to happen, whatever the artifact has had planned out and it was time for her to return and the artifact needed whoever else who are the keepers like to have their own part in making it possible for her to get here when all that was like she asked her arrived and Halen arrived at the very end when Solomon and whoever else in the past like did all the work like Solomon collected all the rocks and then he was expendable so he is gone but then all Halen and Aster needed to do was release them and like protect the rocks and then release them and so I think that Halen's job is kind of finished and maybe that's why AI was like or the artifact probably using AI was like, hey, get this guy out because now we just need Aster. And Aster, like, is part of us. Aster might be the connection or the bridge that this other being energy thing needs in order to, like, complete its task. So, yeah, she's just 100%, like, baby offspring of artifact. And I think that Bart genuinely, like, he is part of the beacon, and he genuinely, like, cares about Aster, but he is kind of in a tough spot because he also really cares about what his purpose is. He cares about his own purpose, and his own purpose is, like, being the beacon, which he's super poetic in the beginning, which I really love when he talks about how the name of beacon itself, like, means safety. You know, when he's, like, telling, he's trying to guilt the bomber into, like, understanding the purpose of, like, what a beacon is and guilting him into ending this horrible, like, the principle of what the bomber was doing is what's really bad. And so the fact that in the very beginning he's being very poetic about how a beacon is a light and the definition itself means safety and it like saves people that it'll never see and then at the end you know he says that there's no weapon as powerful as an idea so obviously he's not just like this poetic dude he has his own ethics and his own principles that are run deeper because he isn't just like an AI. He has a greater purpose. And so I don't know if he, I do think that he is protecting Aster. I don't know if it's because he just has an affinity for her because of their relationship, because he like raised her and she kind of opened some different part of him. Um, where he now like taught himself because he does say that like although he does like follow protocol and he is like a machine he also like evolves so like this guy even though he you know set this bomber up to um, be held accountable for his actions he did say it wasn't in vain because he was enlightened and intrigued by the conversation and the passion of the guy of the bomber and so now he will consider telling others what he told him like he said he gained perspective and so now he's like I'm going to do this because I am the beacon and I am going to follow my principles no matter what for the beacon. Because he doesn't just always follow protocol. He does ignore people. He has shown that he follows his own principles and his own protocol and his own protocol evolves based off of ideas. And so I don't know. I think it is totally possible that Bart is kind of like on the line with siding with allowing the artifact to exist or allowing the artifact to do whatever it's going to do for the sake of protecting Aster. 
I do think that that might be like where this is going. We know that he's completely aware of the artifact and he's like experienced enough like hardship and sadness like in his own way that like these are long lasting effects that are in his programming, which is like his AI soul. I know there's some push and pull, right? Like humans are wanting to destroy the beacon because the beacon is making life too artificial. ISA is trying to push the beacon stuff and take the humanity out of humanity. But the artifact, like, what is the greater purpose of the artifact? And I think that Bart is going to side, like, he's on his own side, but maybe he's leaning a bit toward, or he will lean a bit toward whatever the artifact's mission is, just because of his affinity and history with Aster. That's a lot, Gabby. Sorry. <laughs> but I think you're probably onto something, which then makes me wonder, what event is he waiting for? Is there some like moment of self-actualization or realization that Aster has to reach so that he can say, thank God you figured it out because I've got so much to, <laughs> to help you with. But she has to get there first so that he can do that. Uh, he would do something of, like that. Yeah. Very, a lot of question marks, a lot of question marks. What do you think, Inez? What, what are your thoughts on the Bart slash Aster connection, oh, affinity. How do they wind up being in this position? Because what, what Gabby was describing, it makes me wonder and believe now that unwittingly, unknowingly, Aster might have been building her whole life to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Without even really knowing it, she knew she needed to find the relics. We learned from this episode that there is a kind of weird religion built up around the relics. They're they're called the column. They worship the relics, but they are but they also have an, a slate of beliefs that include anti-expansionism because they had he had a lot of things to say about failing colonies and stuff like that. So the the relics are not this unknown thing out in the galaxy. They there's enough going that there's a religion built around us. I wonder if she somehow used them sometime in the past. Was she involved with them to find out more? I just wonder for decisions that she needed to make in order to wind up here now. It's a, those really good storyline. I think that that is really interesting. I definitely did not go down that pathway at all. So I'm just absorbing it. And I think it's totally viable. I felt Bart's role is really being the storyteller. I have not really found something that tells me that he's playing a big specific role in some kind of grandiose thing. I think that he is an AI that is true to his purpose of the constant evolving and learning and managing his space. And he's collected a lot of stories and experiences over time. And I feel like his role right now and what I'm expecting throughout the rest of this is that he's a storyteller explaining what's going on. I like the idea of what Gabby was saying of um, that this bomber situation was taking place in the future. And so we're super seeing this was a very storytelling episode. He storytells every episode. He's given us a really lot of great insight that questions us about what he's capable of and what is truth and whatnot. But 
everything, every episode has been storytelling from Bart. So I don't feel like he's actively involved in whatever purpose that is driving Aster. I think that he's a tool that comes in as people need him, including Aster and Halen. And he has his personalities and his moral center that he uses for everything. Um, so that's as far as I really have, think that his involvement is. So it's a different from where you guys are going. As far as Astro's storyline, I don't know. I ha- I'm still processing the information, I've kind of, the perspective I've learned from early in this conversation because I wasn't thinking in those ways. So originally I was thinking, okay, this thing is energy. And so if you look in like, I don't know, like the culture of astrology, where it's about all of our like, purpose and decisions and um, personalities, all kind of deriving from the energy that existed in the universe that's feeding through into you. And then that is what kind of helps mold who you are. And we know that energy also like in our day-to-day life changes like how we feel and react to something emotionally and physically. So I'm just attributing that this relic that's out there, I can see how the people who documented it can create it and influence what becomes religions far down the line. So that's kind of like neat for us to kind of see how that can happen. And as far as its own specific mission, not like the society kind of way from just like what this thing wants, it is an energy that exists is the sentient being and it changes and bends your energy that's this is how i thought is that it changes your energy and that's why these people kind of get stuck like within it and enough scientists have spent enough time documenting and inputting all of the stuff even if it wasn't part of the original mission and then that is kind of how isa knows that there's something really special about this place because it, the scientists and research that was kind of like unintentional like fed into that but i don't know maybe the people who created the beacon also knew that this had their own theory about this and that is the real reason why it was there not so much for space travel like trafficking type of thing so we can tell that this girl doesn't watch like star trek (laughs) and like all these like fantasy like sci-fi that it's just because you're like very like just about the science i don't believe it until i see it and even if i see it and i hear it i need multiple (laughs) points to tell me the same thing to believe it whereas paul is like oh this is familiar and these are parallels and i'm just like let's just let's just theorize (laughs) that's funny i mean because i do think about those things too if i feel like i've identified like the the patterns and the kind of story so the patterns that i've identified like with this one is that it is very rooted in logic to me it's super logical and there is uh, a deep appreciation for the consistency in these characters even when there's like these twists and turns like i feel like you know despite everything that Bart has done, I agree wholeheartedly with both of you, especially uh, Gabby, like what you say, right? He has his set of ethics and purpose and he's consistent in that way. And because I know that and I respect that, I just apply that into like what I think is going to happen, like what's coming up and where the story kind of is. And just taking my own experience and the logic that I'm kind of applying to these different parts that 
I'm just kind of honoring those consistencies and it seems to keep playing out in those consistencies as I keep watching episodes. But that's just the storytelling of how it speaks to me specifically. I think that that's what makes this whole story really, really great because we are able to get triggered with our imaginations and with these other cool things that we've learned along the way, these little collection of memories. And I think that that's what to me is making this show so great is because it feel like it is very different. I like that I'm not kind of seeing some kind of common themes and I don't think so much that it's that I'm not exposed. I just feel like I'm honoring the behaviors of what they're sharing to me about each of these characters. So it's a dystopian Star Trek, Inez. Okay. Watch, watch next <laughs> and then come back to me. Okay. Then. I don't think that ISA or the people who made the beacon, I don't think they think that it's special, but I do think it's totally possible that they were aware of something. But I mean, obviously they're aware of it now because like their scientists are like freaking out and whatever. But I do think that they think it's dangerous. I was thinking about the beacons in terms of space travel and the way that they described their purpose, you know, finding dangerous parts of space and, and saying, hey, it's dangerous here by putting a beacon there. And that made sense with like what I knew about other, you know, um, either Star Trek or Star Wars, like they have pre-planned routes because space is so dangerous mm-hmm. that they need all the ships to fly pretty much, even though space is infinite, it's better if you follow a pre-planned route that some Lewis and Clark type made for you a long time ago because they know going that way is safe. But what you're suggesting is that Milan, Aleph, he might have put the beacons where he wanted or expected there to be artifact activity. And the beacons were there to actually be his like data collection points. Mm-hmm. I miss that guy. Hope he shows up again sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that theory. I like it a lot, Paul. We're really building up the meta story around this thing. They're not they're only showing a little bit on screen, but but there's there's possibilities for a lot more going on and feeding into why these people are here now. There has to be a reason other than like we're just documenting the lifespan of this random lighthouse in space. Like the first season of uh Deep Space Nine, also a space station, right? But it didn't really have like that whole meta story built into it that people love about Deep Space Nine was all the other stuff that happened in the much later seasons. That first season, though, is just like the Ferengi of the week shows up, <laughs> right? And, it's, yeah. and it doesn't doesn't quite have all that history built into it. So you could have gone that way, sure. But the, what people love about Deep Space Nine was all the other stuff, the meta plots. The, the meta plots and the Ferengi. <laughs> and, and I, I the was Fer- there for the Ferengi. <laughs> They're my <Yeah>. favorite. <laughs> They're like a bunch of Barts. You love those giant lobes? They're consistent, and I appreciate that. Well, that's true. That You could always bet on a Ferengi to act a certain way. That's, that's a given. <laughs> I love them so much, Inez. Can you think of Ferengis, Inez? Like, are, do you remember them enough? Yeah, especially like you and how giddy... <laughs> you get when you think about oh, them so you just know, start talking about you this too just long. know them through me <laughs> i i mean I, I watched it too and so like every so when i see them though like it's you who i think about because you just become 
<laughs> you just you just them. Ah, that's too loud. I love them too. so much. <laughs> bunch of little bunch uh, of little sensitive like autistic characters. <laughs> it's just you. It's right. a, Gabby's oh like gosh. call me the Grand Nagus, and everyone's like, "What's a Nagus?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ferengi and Bart. They're my they're my numero unos. But I mean, all of these all of these are connected. Inez, I think you need to do some homework, and I think for the next episode, you need to just try to like make your own connections and then you come up with a theory like mm-hmm. just try I think it. Like, that you it could be anything i think i think that you need to let me continue my own experience and you continue your own experience and that's the beauty of this podcast because who wants to oh. hear us all have the same story right I mean, so let me let me just go on my ride <laughs> no it's just it's just a nice brain exercise that's awesome. I genuinely See, this is, this is... am really enjoying my experience. I'm having my own personal relationship in the experience of how I'm going. So I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm experiencing like a stale. I'm not. I'm not experiencing anything stale. I am capable I of recalling all kinds of creative things. I was just curious, and it was fun for me. If you're gonna get offended, I apologize. You don't need to change your mind. It just sounds it's like just... you don't want me to. Like it sounds, it sounds like, like you want me to, and it's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you anyway. know what? Whoever's listening to this, please like leave a comment. Of, <laughs> He's gonna edit this out. He's gonna edit Gabby's, this out. This is not no. making it. Paul, oh, we have Paul, to leave this you, sister battle. You in. have to leave this in here, okay? <laughs> you leave this in here, and you let the audience comment on here, and then we'll we'll say. I really love this show. Like I'm really happy reel. to be brought in. <laughs> no, no, this is official. We're having it's a, a waste a of time, out there. You, Cheese and rice. Isn't everything? Everything's a waste of time. No matter what no. we do in our time and space. Okay. All the <laughs> the beacon keepers all handle things their own way. Some might think that it's Sophie's decorations were a waste of time. That's what Olive said. He was pissed off about that, right? And and Sophie's you. So there, all if the, you don't even Bart, like yourself. You're all of <laughs> In the words of Rick Sanchez, "Don't tell me how to like things." <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, yes. Paul. Do not do Jesus. It was fun. I am Thank sorry you, that you got offended <laughs> by me, like just being curious and trying to throw something out there for the sake of fun. Because I am just genuinely curious on like what happens because you have been consistently like really mechanical and like we don't talk about these things. And so I just thought it could be fun. I am sorry that you are so offended, but. Like we can drop it, and I don't. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> don't let well, the. I didn't team, ask you to let change. Let the records show that I love Jesus, the creativity that I gained from Gabby's perspective and Paul's perspective, and I really get a big high out of my mechanical. <laughs> my mechanical experience is genuinely I, super but you know what that's that's my autistic need right that's that's what i'm that's what i no, love i really do need to watch more star trek this. you need to watch more star trek because you're the one who said that you wanted to like read other people's things so that you could come up with your theories no you could just come up with your own theories by like going to the source because this guy who wrote this like you what know you he's about? seen Wait, what and talked about? about all of the shows that we have discussed the stephen king stuff because there really are, are parallels and there about? are 
This is the podcast. They ended a sister relationship. <laughs> I just don't, I'm so confused. Like, I, I don't know what you're referring to. You mentioned earlier in other podcasts, you mentioned that you wanted to read forums so that you could come up with theories. That's what you said. It's not so re- coming listen. up with my theories. No, I'm just it's saying, to learn hey, can you what let me else finish is a out sentence? there as well? Can you, exactly. No, so no, I'm I saying want... that instead of, oh my God, I don't know what your deal is, but I'm sorry, Paul, I'm going to stop wasting time. Maybe this is an oh, offline man. conversation. How about I tease No, it's not everyone. a conversation at all. Like, we need to stop. Like, it's just, it never happened. <laughs> it's a waste all of right. time. I was enjoying, I was really enjoying this banter, but obviously it's too much. No, I enjoy, like, seeing what other people come up with, but I have my own theories, and I'll participate and share what my own theories are, and until somebody logics more logicallyer than me, <laughs> then I, like, like that so that I can kind of incorporate, just like today, I really love the new perspectives that I gained from what you put together, Gabby. I thought it was super fun. And I'm looking forward to like thinking about that. It was not, it was like the Jesus concept. Like I'm just like, I need to like, feel like I need to rewatch this now with that lens. And, and that's cool. No, I just saw like, they told me, like they said it, it's all the context clues were in the episode. I just put it together. Space Jesus. (laughs) Little baby Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) all right well looking at next week the tease for the episode goes like this an organization known as the column arrives at beacon 23 revealing even more about the rocks holy crap even so we're gonna get sort of the religious side yes yes Now, where that appears in the timeline of the beacon, it doesn't say. This is just one sentence, so it's very little to go on. And if we are looking at what was happening when we last saw Halen and Aster, a ship was approaching that they were assuming was QTA. So Mm -hmm. this could either be another ship or they were wrong and it is the column is showing up. Oh my gosh, let's hope it's the column. Oh my goodness, so much to learn in just a couple more episodes. I can't handle it. Well, I think it's going to be some pretty key stuff too, right? If they have more to say about the rocks um, and all this stuff is in, is that all of our theories involve what, what, what are the rocks there for? What is their purpose? What is their purpose with Olive? What is their purpose with Aster? Um, why are they here in the first place? So yes, learning more. Now, if it is coming from the column, though, this might be sort of like learning about God from one certain religion, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they may not be 100% correct. These may be like space Mormons or something, like not exactly uh, an, yeah. a highly agreed upon take <laughs> on, on how That's things yeah. really are. But still, I bet we'll get something, something to noodle on next week. Or they are going to come, they are part of the column, and really they're just kind of going to be bait for when ISA comes. And that's how our people, Halen and Aster, will somehow make it to their their step. Maybe this is, maybe the column is coming and they're just going to be like a stepping stone for <laughs> um, our three loves, Halen, Bart, and Aster. Aster. Yeah, I keep <laughs> sorry, I keep forgetting. I keep thinking Calix, like that last name is just sticking in my head. 
It's a cool last name. Yeah. So which one are you hopeful for one or the other? Definitely column. And I, I mean, anything that just helps fill out the world, gives us more to guess about, like gives us answers, but then also creates more questions, draws me further into the show. It doesn't, at this part of the show's development, it's what attracts me to a show. It doesn't put me off. I was just thinking like, maybe we'll get some insight. Maybe they have like a glossary built out, you know, of the language so we can know what uh, yach yach mishmach. Mishmach means. I, I did. I <laughs> yeah. spelled that backwards, and it's kamshim kya, uh, which also doesn't doesn't seem to mean anything. <laughs> I was gonna do that too. I totally forgot to. It's a it's a That's... guttural there, like yach mishmach, and then so kamshim kya. That doesn't mean yeah. anything to me either. I, w- I was glad that Bart said that it didn't register as any known language because then it takes a lot of the guesswork out. It's definitely not Red Rum talk. It's it's something else. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. I'm excited. Super excited. Super excited going into next week. All right. Well, this has been our coverage of episode six and a relationship ending argument between two sisters on <laughs> no. recorded on a podcast. Um, no, it's just a slight difference of opinion. I didn't even have an opinion. Cheese and rice. I just have I'll just continue my vanilla existence. Oh no, it's mechanical. It was a mechanical I existence. I think mechanically and logically too. Cheese and rice. You... You, you beautiful human. <laughs> All right. Uh, like I said, this was for our coverage of the sixth episode called Beacon 23. In the title, they spelled it out in words, which I thought was nice because mm-hmm. we got a little bit more about Bart. And when she said that, it sounded like he could have had like a human-esque sort of avatar like Harmony, mm-hmm. but... That was not the way it went. He is, he is Beacon 23. And I thought sort of like, that's how you would designate a name. You would spell it out rather than with, you know, like a numerical designation, like a machine. Or this is the wrong title completely and IMDb will update it when the show airs. (laughs) I think that this is totally intentional. I think that we learned so much about Bart in this one. Bart's been storytelling a lot about like what's been going on. And this one was very much so, so much about him specifically you know is telling storytelling parson but he was he was teaching us a lot about him so this is this is a tribute for bart episode if you want to interact with me paul or anyone at pod clubhouse uh including inez and gabby the message will reach them if you <laughs> call if you call jesus don't call no if you e- um <laughs> don't email either go to uh, podclubhouse.com and leave a comment there or uh, leave a review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll see any of those or wherever li- you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, and tell us how you think we're doing. Uh, also, Twitter slash X or Instagram, Pod Clubhouse, all one word. Inez, if someone wanted to reach out to you specifically, where would they find you on the social world? Probably at Neasy Thinks on X formerly Twitter. Not Neasy Thinks mechanically, just Neasy Thinks. Just Neasy Thinks. Just Neasy Thinks. <laughs> Gabby, are you still content to uh, have your thoughts known through the podcast alone? 
I would really love it if anyone and everyone in the audience, all listeners, would please just uh, provide feedback because I appreciate it and I appreciate suggestions and I will go wherever people want me to go because that's fun for me. So yes, please find me on those avenues. Please comment, please reach out on your podclubhouse.com and iTunes reviews. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week for the episode called End Transmission. That sounds ominous. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.